This episode is sponsored by Fooly Gemstones. The other day I was walking on Hatton Garden and this guy came up to me and he goes, Oh, Chiefa, you inspired me to do this. And I'm telling you, you made my day. Because when I got into the industry, there was nobody, there was no black people in in jewellery. I didn't have no one to talk to. No role model. Yeah, nothing. But now I'm giving kids advice. What, like, how do I start? What should I do? And, it, and there's loads of black jewellers now, mm. which that never existed before. Mm. Welcome to If Jewels Could Talk. I'm Carol Walton, the voice of jewellery, an author, broadcaster, and the woman who initiated the role of jewellery editor at magazines like Tatler and British Vogue. This is a podcast for everyone, for people who do like jewellery, for people who don't realise they like jewellery, and anyone intrigued by fascinating facts, new ideas, and forgotten histories. So please join me as I tell sparkly tales, meeting all sorts of people, delving into four centuries of jewellery culture, and investigate what's happening now. Today, I'm talking with Chiefa Decipher. We are going to talk about Chiefa's Ghanaian heritage, how he was London-born, how he never dreamt he'd be a jeweller, and now he merges his music background and sport with French fine jewellery techniques. His jewellery is worn by anyone who's anyone in the music scene, and he's become the favourite jeweller of Anthony Joshua. Thank you for joining us, Chiefa. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. And I wanted to talk about um, the noise you're making and why you're making it. And I think it um, seems to be that you've got your kind of street style, but you're merging it with the best of French fine jewellery making. Is that what you're trying to do? Yes, 100%. Um, for me, it's always about implementing that street culture with high-end jewellery. So, obviously, I grew up in Tottenham and um, my, envir- my environment kind of made me who I am. So, it's always important for me to share the culture, but also present it in, in a way that is, that is high-end. So, basically, I'm always merging things together. Like, I feel like with your background and everything you've summed up, the, all the great things you've done, the books you've written, and for you to sit down with someone like me, it's just, it's a merge, ain't it? Because we're from, the both of us are from two different worlds. And I feel like that's the great, that's where the greatness occurs. I guess so. I'm always trotting around the Place Vendôme. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But tell me, what was your style then growing up in Tottenham? What was your style then? So we've always been into high-end fashion. Mm -hmm. So growing up, Gucci, Louis Vuitton, just Mm -hmm. the, the big houses. Mm. They, they, you know, like, because you watch it on TV. Yeah. You watch all these, um, you, the actresses and the actors wearing these fabrics and you just want them. And yeah, that, so you just, you just trod a lot until you can afford it. And what about the jewellery style? What were you wearing? Oh, uh, so when I was younger, it was more, it was more, I was just, I just, just had like a little breacher chains or a little Cuban link chain that my mum would give me or my, like, you know, for your christening or whatnot. You don't have the financial means to do what you really want to do, so you just kind of take what you're what you're 
were you given? So your mum was quite instrumental in you liking jewellery? Yes, I'm from Ghana, um, formerly known as the Gold Coast. Mm -hmm. um, the land is very rich in gold. So gold is a thing that you see very common to Ghanaians. It's like if your parents take a trip to Ghana, they always come back with a gold chain for you. Like, it's just there's so much gold there. I'm a shanty as well, so it's very cultural to me. It's not just a piece of jewellery. It's embedded, like, my ancestors were, were, were mining gold. So it's deeper than that. Does that make sense? Yeah, so yeah. you've got it in your DNA. That's right, that's right. And do your family still have, do they still yeah. mine gold? Yeah, 100%. They mine gold, cocoa. Some of them are cocoa farmers, some of them are, some of them are um, miners. And can you use that gold in your jewellery now? Can you get it straight from Ghana to you from yes, the mine? You, yes, you can, yeah. I have done. Mm -hmm. I've done a few pieces. Um, I actually had the privilege of designing a signet ring for the president of Ghana. So I did that and yeah, I made sure that I got the gold from Ghana. It was Ghanaian gold. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it, it, it feels honourable to take raw materials from the ground that you're, you're from and also to create something and gift it to the president of, of the country, yeah. And also people like to know where their golds come from because right. everyone wants to know it's fair trade, fair mine. So if you can say it's exactly from that mine and I know where it's come from, that's a real asset to yeah. your clients. That's right. It always has to be ethical. Do they ask, as well as the diamonds, do they want to know where the diamonds are from yes. as well? Yeah, I've sat down with a few couples and they're like, we, we want to make sure... We're, we're buying a lab-grown diamond because we just want to make sure that it's ethical and no one went through any hardships to get this stone or not. Do you know what I mean? Just want to keep it clean, which is understandable. And I'm embracing it in the new world. That's what's happening. So what are your views about the, the mined diamonds versus lab-grown? What do you... Because, you know, diamonds are important to you, aren't they? 100%. So, so what do you feel? Um... I get both sides of the argument, 100%. However, I like natural diamonds. Like I just feel like that's how God, God puts it in the earth. And I feel like it should stay like that. Cool, if you want to make lab-grown diamonds, I get that. But me personally, I, I like to work with real stones. I'm with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we want proper ice. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I think stones divorced from their history don't mean anything. Yeah. You've got to have that history, haven't oh, you? It's exactly. got to come from the earth. Exactly. And I think that's part of um, the preciousness that it is from the earth. It is something extraordinary exactly. that's been produced. Exactly. Even though they can create that in a lab oven, it can't have that same feel, can yeah, it? Yeah, because these stones are essentially been on the planet for thousands of years maybe more or billions billions of years do you know yeah and we, we get to do these amazing pieces with it and you represent and then you use it you can give it on it just goes on but if it's just made in a in, in a lab three weeks three, in kansas exactly. or <laughs> popped exactly. out of the oven yeah um doesn't but, feel the same and the prices are like very challenging like do you know i looked at a one carat and it was it looked like a VVS, like you, there's no inclusion whatsoever. It was like two and a half grand or something like that. And I was like, okay, I get it. But me personally, yeah. But you'll do what your clients want. That's right. I want to talk a bit about how you started, because 
I think you were a manager for your cousin who was a rapper. That's right. Who was that? Who was he? So my cousin's name is Sway. Okay. Sway was a rapper, very successful at what he did. Probably one of the best rappers in the at the UK scene. I started managing him. We started off after we left school and I just started managing him and book, taking bookings for shows and, you know, organising his schedule and whatnot. And in doing so, I just ended up meeting a lot of um, his mates, fellow rappers. So we would, he would collaborate with other artists and obviously I would, we would build relationships from time to time, over a, time, over a period of time. And um, I just, it helped me when I started making jewellery because essentially we started off with all these artists and they weren't big. And then when they finally blew up, I was doing jewellery and I had like a personal relationship with them. So I started making pieces and selling watches to his, his friends. When they were all burgeoning in their careers. That's right. And then they stay loyal to you as they get bigger. That's right. That's exactly what Chopin do at the Cannes Film Festival. They yeah. find a young actress and they kind of make a relationship early on. And yeah. then when she's the Academy Award winner, it's like, OK, yeah. time to wear Chopin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's smart. It's about having vision. And I feel mm. like that alone has helped me a lot in, in terms of picking my team. It's about sitting down with someone and having dialogue with them and actually seeing them for who they really are, seeing their strengths and their weaknesses. I feel like that has contributed a lot to my whole jewellery career because it's you're sitting down with different artists and different, you know, and you have to feel the people, you have to have a connection with them and you have to meet on an artistic level to create something unique. And I feel like that always works when you can pinpoint something, whether it might be your blazer today, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's why? Gucci. You yeah. would love it. Of it's course. Gucci. Why, you know, it's like, why did you choose that blazer? Why? Why? That, that's the question that I ask. Why mm -hmm. did she put the navy blazer on? Why does she like those lapels? That's how my brain works. Mm -hmm. Oh, she's got those earrings. Why did she choose emeralds of amethyst? That's the questions I ask myself. And it brings me closer to the person because I'm... And it, I might I might release a, a question or two to you, and mm -hmm. then it shows me who you are. So I'm just constantly. That's how I see jewelry. That's so kind of part psychiatrist, part jeweler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could call it that. You could call it that. You could call it. Have that. a therapy session while you get your jewelry exactly. made. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Because it's a connection. It's if you're if you're gonna create something for someone, you need mm -hmm. to know what they feel like. What they their ethos on life is what they like what they don't like you know mm -hmm. I think it's important so some of those um early clients you really collaborate with them so it's a very close collaboration you don't just make something and say here you look good in that no they have no a say and they, have, they have a say they come in they can choose they can say like I, I want to hear what they've got to say mm -hmm. and I just kind of guide them through and say look aesthetically I get it that looks sounds great but it's not going to look good going to look a bit, it might be too cluttered. So I just guide them. I guide them with the knowledge that I have. Mm -hmm. And then we get there together. And I take them through the whole step. So once they commission a job, we share ideas. I end up designing, send them a picture of the sketch, send them a CAD render if, if we CAD it up. So we take them through the whole process. And that's the difference. Because you couldn't walk into one of these big houses like, Tiffany and say, look, I want you personally to design this. I want to see every step of it. 
it doesn't happen. Like, do you know what I mean? So that's where I come in. So you can come and sit down with me. You can see, I can send you footage of it. You get to see it. You can show it on your wedding day. You can show it to your kids. I provide them a service that they can't get from the high street. So it really is couture right. because you're going through all these different processes and parts of the creation, sort of almost like a toile in, in couture that they can actually try and see how it fits, see the three exactly. dimensions. Exactly. And so they're going to be no disappointments. Exactly. Because yeah, because imagine getting to the end and you present it and she's like, he or she's like, oh, mm. I didn't want it like that. Do you know what I mean? So once you're seeing every process, you can alter any parts that you don't like or, do you know what I mean? Or add on what you, what you mm. want or what you do or like. So what were the first pieces you made? First pieces I made were just some um, rosaries, mm. rosary beads, and I made them for myself. So I'd wear like four rosary beads, all in 18 carats. Round your neck. Round my neck, yeah. But I would never take them out. I wouldn't wear it out like, oh, I've got this out. I would just wear a wide neck t-shirt and have like four rosary beads hanging down so you would see the balls. I just like to create that mystery, like, oh, what's on the end of that? Like, what's on the end? So you see it. Full. Just a hint of it. Exactly. Did you have a crucifix on the end of it? I did. Mm -hmm. I did. I did have a crucifix on the end of it. And yeah, and I literally sold them all within probably about two weeks off my neck. And how did you get them made? Did you so go and buy the stones? Did you? I went to Hatton Garden. Yeah. And um, so this is before I actually started mm, making mm. jewelry as, you know, becoming a jeweler. I, I would just design it for myself. Mm -hmm. So people would see it. But in my area where I grew up, I grew up on this estate. And on this estate, over the years, I built up this reputation for, like, I was like the tastemaker on this. Like, it's like, show it to Jeeva. Let's see what Jeeva <laughs> thinks. Uh, so I would make jewelry for myself. So I made the chain for myself. And everyone was like, oh my God, I like that. Oh, and I was like, yeah, I can sell it to you. And I'll just literally take it off my neck and sell it to them. And that's how it started. So after music, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, what am I going to do? And why did that stop? Because the UK scene wasn't ready for the type of music that we were doing. Okay, what were you doing? We were doing hip hop, but yeah. hip hop is an American thing. So um, it was really hard to chart in the UK because you had to go on a playlist and you had to be on Radio 1 and Radio 1 was the only national radio station. So you, essentially you build up your whole campaign, spend all the money on making the album and then you literally had to present the your single to the manager was, at my time it was a guy called george agatudis and he would literally listen it to it with his team and it was like yes no so if you didn't get on the playlist that's it that's it so you wouldn't be able yeah. to chart like obviously mm -hmm. people will know your songs and whatnot but then if you're not charting them you're not making no money mm. so after a few shots at it I, I was like, look, this is too slow for me. He kept at it and he became much more successful. But I thought, let me, I need to do something. So what am I going to do? And I thought, I can sell jewellery. I didn't even think of creating jewellery. I thought, I can sell watches. I knew that was easy. So I'll just buy watches and put like my little commission on top and sell it. Because I knew everyone. Everyone knew me and I had a good reputation for it. So everyone trusted me. And what watches were they wanting at that point? Rolexes. So Rolexes. At, that, at that time, it was a Rolex Day Date. 
36 millimeter with diamonds and without diamonds without diamonds. yeah it was just the all gold and if you had mm. that carol you were like the president okay of, yeah. of ghana yeah. <laughs> of england <laughs> <Where are> you? <laughs> if you had that 18k 18 carat yellow gold 36 day day that was the watch and everybody wanted them and i was able to find a shop that had them in stock their shop had them in stock, but they didn't have the clientele. So they had it. So I became the middleman. I was like, I can sell these. Because obviously in the streets, I feel like that's the way it all starts. We've got such a big influence on culture, on what is what is cool. So if they're wearing it, that's what it is. But over there, they've got it and people are walking past them because it's too loud. Everyone's like, why am I wearing an old gold watch? So I'm literally take the watches and sell them. Just take the watches and sell them, one by one. Then they started to see the numbers that I was doing. And they were like, oh, you can take 40 for it. You don't have to pay for it now. So I started building the trust. And then, yeah, it just got around that, oh yeah, Chief sells jewelry now, he sells watches. Then I was like, I think it's time to create, to create. I think I'm over, I've always been good at that. So I used to create my own pieces, my own pieces. Mm -hmm. so, so I just started creating. And and where did you get it made? You've got the stones in Hatton so, Garden. So I've got the stones in Hatton Garden. And then um, one of the watch dealers had introduced me to a mounter. So once I met the mounter, that's when things clicked in. Because I met someone that I could say all my nonsense do and he would literally make sense of it and make the mount for it so once i had the mount all i had to do was find a diamond setter so once i found a diamond setter it was stones but i didn't know about stones then it was very hard but so i would literally just go and see two or three diamond dealers and depending on how they spoke to me i would see whether i would trust them because they could say it's vvs and it's not vvs and you wouldn't know so yeah and then i just started so you just learnt on the job? Yeah, that's it. I've always And get your eye in. Yeah, I just looked at everything, I mm. observed everything. I, I asked questions. I kept quiet when I need to keep quiet. I'm just, I just took it in, took it in. I just know I had a factor, is that I knew how to design stuff. I, I knew, I know what's cool. I'm, I've always known what's cool. But that, you can't take from me. You can say, Chief, is this what I've always been able to say? That's, that's it, that's it. But I think I probably got it from my, my mom and my, or my dad, because they're really cool. But they, they were cool. What does your mom wear? My mom, Chanel, like, my mom, like, you know, I grew up with my mom having Chanel watches, Gucci, like she yeah. knew she had like a whole jewelry purse and it just had loads of jewels and 24 karat gold, like, and she used to hide it in this, and it was like this leather bag and, when she was going out, she would say, go grab my bag, my jewelry bag, we'll get it. And then once, when she opens it, it was like a treasure chest. Like, it's like, wow. And where was she buying it? She was buying it in Hatton Garden. In Hatton Garden? Yeah, that's yeah. why it was so, like, it was surreal for me because mm. I, I, I built a reputation in Hatton Garden. Everybody knew me. I would be like, my mum used to walk these streets and come to buy jewelry with her friends. And now I'm on the same street. Yeah. And even her, I was like, my mum in Hatton Garden now, like, and it's like, oh my God, I used to hang around there in the 70s, and, do you know? So does she wear your jewellery now? 
Yeah, she's got a few pieces that mm. I've made for her, but yeah, hundred percent, yeah. So when did the where did the acting come in? Because you wanted to be an actor, didn't you? Carol, <laughs> in my heart, I still want to be. Do you? Yeah, that for me. So there's a kind of showmanship yeah. thing inside you. Yeah. And the jewelry doesn't quite satisfy that. It, it's, it satisfies the create the creative side of it. Mm -hmm. No, but to be honest with you, I get to do that because I have to present the jewelry on Instagram on social media. As you know, most of my following or most of my clientele is from social media. So just taking a picture of jewelry and putting it on social media, no one cares. They want to see how you made it, why you made it like this, what materials you do. So you get to speak. And there's a, it's very, what we do is very cutthroat. So there's a lot of bravado that comes with how we do it. So I get to do all of that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I am acting, but it's not quite blockbuster, but. <laughs> but you so you would like to work in film? Hundred percent. I've rented jewelry out to film sets and tried to sneak on the set. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. For me, sort of photo bomb. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do you need me to put more? Yeah, I li I recently just shot a movie. It's coming out. It's called Trapped on Netflix, mm -hmm. and I get to play it. I'm actually playing me, so I'm, I'm a jeweler in the film. Okay. And I think, Oh, that's but, fun. Yeah. But I know the director. He called me up. He goes, look, I need a jeweler. I could go anywhere, but I want someone to be natural in their element. Can you do it? I don't want you to act. I just want you to be natural. I said, bring it all in. Thinking he's coming with one camera. A whole f three, four trailers pulled outside. A camera crew of 20 people. I was thinking, oh my God, what's this? So yeah, so I'm in that. So that's your debut? No, not my debut. Oh, okay. I've been on... Um, um, a series on Netflix called Top Boy. Okay. Yeah, I was in that. That was that was made for my, my... They wanted my cousin, and my cousin was like, listen, I know you guys want me, because obviously he was a celebrity, they wanted him, but he was like, my cousin, Chief, uh, trust me, he he could do this. This is He's what you need. And he come, they were like, listen, no, Sway, we want you. And he's like, listen, if I come, you've got my cousin got to come. So I, I they said, okay, we'll invite him around for a... Uh, audition and I completely blew it out of the water and I was hired. So that's on Netflix? That's on Netflix, no, okay. yeah. Okay, I'll have a look. Yeah. You could also, I mean, I used to spend years going to all the watch fairs in Europe mm -hmm. and I should be careful what I say, but often I had to go to presentations and I came to the conclusion that the Swiss should make watches but they should never present them because <laughs> quite dry what was it? and I I thought you know there's a whole new role for you there you could go and present all their watches and sell them yeah, but, because but, but you gotta have a connection with it mm. you can't you, you know do you know what I mean it's different when you speak of something I know but I felt like these guys are so into their mechanisms they're so good at what they do but they can't get that across yeah. they can't put it in terms that it really engages people. Yeah. It's like when you think of like Jeff Koons, he's amazing. Amazing. One of my favourites. Yeah. But it's not just about the talent. He's just, he's a good businessman. He knows how to present it. And if you can't present your jewellery in the right way, then forget it. Mm. It's not just the talent. You've got to know the business side of it, the marketing side of it. And what helps me is I know how to present things and I also know how to create it. And I'm motor I, I create to present, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. That's gonna sound a bit crazy, but 
I create it to present it. So when I'm creating it, I'm thinking about how I'm going to present it at the same time of, of creating it. Mm. So can we talk a bit about um, how important jewellery is in the music industry right now? Who are you creating for? So in the music industry, um, I, there's an artist called Digger D. Mm -hmm. And Digger D is like the hottest artist right now. And yeah, I just made him a pendant. Um, he's got a song called No Diet. So he's got this, these emojis. I'll show you a picture of it. And I made him a pendant. Mm -hmm. He's got emerald cut stones or VS. I had to cut cut each stone just to fit. It's just, I, I can show you actually. Oh my God, that's amazing. This is just so much glitter. Incredible. So a cross and a, a shield? And, a, a, and it's a, a cup. A cup? Yeah. With a straw? With a straw, that's it. <laughs> and that's a pendant? Yeah. So yeah, this is going crazy at the moment because obviously he's the hottest thing and um, everyone, yeah, everyone's like telling me how great it looks and yeah. And for some of the girls as well. Some of the girls, yeah. yeah. I've done Georgia Smith. Georgia Smith, that's yeah, it. Yeah, Georgia Smith, um, Georgia Smith's lovely, um, doing so well, mm. what she does, yeah. I did her a uh, queen piece from a chessboard. Whose music are you following right now? Um, I like all the... The new stuff, obviously I like Digger D, I like Scraps, Nines. And they all wear your jewellery. Yeah, they all wear my jewellery, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they all do. And it's it, it's crazy because um, I was fans of them before they started wearing my jewellery. It just gravitated, it just worked. With Scraps and Nines, they actually like set off my career because when they were coming out, it's when Instagram were coming out and they design, I designed their, 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 their pendants for them. And these pendants went viral because no one in the UK was actually few and far between were actually like putting money behind it and actually getting pendants made like with their logos. Mm -hmm. And that went viral. I made three of them and it went viral. And yeah, things really started to pick up after I started engaging with, mm -hmm. with these sort of rappers. It's quite important. I, I thought recently, actually, when you looked at the Oscars and then you look at all the music awards, there's so much more jewellery at the Music Awards than at the Film Awards, don't you think? I think people come to the Music Awards oh, yeah. loaded in yeah. jewellery. Yeah. And at the Oscars, they're yeah. a little careful, they're yeah. a little, oh, maybe a pair of yeah. earrings, a ring, yeah. but they don't kind of go, I'm going to wear it tonight because I want to look fabulous. Yeah. yeah, it's like that because obviously the jewellery and the music is it's the culture. It's just, it's the culture, jewellery and music. Just, just goes together. Yeah, it goes, yeah, it's, we did um, in British Vogue, I think it was about 2002 or three, it was ages ago, um, with P. Diddy, mm. and he was on the cover with Naomi Campbell, and we got quite a lot of graph diamonds on the shoot. Yeah. And he said, Wow, will you look at the clarity on that bitch yeah. on one of the stones, yeah. which was, you know, like a yeah. 20 carat stone. Yeah. And um, I think that was when you really noticed that it was so important in music and men were wearing it more than women. Yeah. He's the... He influenced everyone. Mm, he he's did, the, didn't he? He influenced me. He still influenced mm -hmm. He's the godfather of this. Mm. He brought that that fly side to it, that, that glamour, that high-end. 
that's P Diddy. He he started mm -hmm. that. Like when rappers were rapping in like car hat jackets and whatnot, he came out with like, no, I wear Gucci, I wear I wear, I wear Chanel, like do you know what I mean? And they and they would say this in their lyrics and as a young boy you're listening to you thinking, What is that? And then you do your research and find out what it is. Because it's not just lyrics. There's a task within the lyrics. So you hear the music and you're just you're just taking it in. I remember it being a task, like a, cha a challenge between us to find out for someone to be able to dissect all the lyrics and say, oh, that's what this means, this what this what. That was like a thing. Like, oh, I know what that means. Because there's, there's loads of metaphors in the music. About jewellery as well as other About things. About jewellery. Mm. So, yeah, like neck full of water. Mm -hmm. you, know, mm. you know what that means, the size, isn't it? Like, yeah. do you know what I mean? <laughs> so, like, it's just, do you know what I mean? play out of words, but yeah, it's just part of the culture. So he's a big role model. Oh yeah. And where did that jewellery culture come from in music particularly? It's always been there. Mm -hmm. it's, it's just been, it's, it just wasn't seen on TV. Like we go back to Africa and my, my, my family and my great grand and when you look at their pictures, they're wearing jewellery like heavy, loads of gold. And, this is it. This is we all. They always knew what it was. Mm. Like my great great grand said to me that when it used to rain so heavy in Ghana in her village, they could see the diamonds. Like because after the rain, the sun would come out, and you could see that. Like they've always been into it, but it's just now been you get to see it on TV. How important is jewelry to identify as Ghanaian? Very important. Very important, especially as it, um. I'm a shanty. A shanty's where that with pride. Mm -hmm. It's all about like it, gold plays a big part in the culture. Anywhere you go, when you get into Kumasi, you have a sense of, oh, this is royal. This is regal. Like you can feel it because their shanties are just rich. Like all the mines are, are, are just. It's just the land is just enriched with so much gold. And you can feel it when you're there. If you turn up to one of like the festivals, like there's a festival called Aquasidae, mm -hmm. and it's like, it's, Carol, it's crazy. Like there's gold everywhere. Everyone's wearing their best pieces, rings, watches, necklaces, headgear. Like it's just regal. You should Google it okay. and just have a look at it. And what do you think about this issue of? cultural appropriation in jewellery because I get asked that quite a bit now about you know hoops Cuban chains or what's your view do you think it should be um when it happens do you think it should be acknowledged say in a magazine shoot do you think it should be acknowledged where it's come from and the culture 100 percent. Mm. for years and years and years people have not credited the right people mm. you know even with my culture, we do so much that people don't credit mm -hmm. and someone will take something and then present it on the bigger stage and they get credit for it. I feel like every, like everything should be credited. Like you're allowed to be inspired. So yeah. I can go to China and, and get inspired or, or wherever. Yet, I've still got to give credit to them. That's why I love Elsa Peretti mm -hmm. because she always credited all the artisans that she collaborated with. You're right, she, she did. Yeah, she mm. never claimed it like, oh yeah, this is me, this is, do you know what I mean? She mm. always credited them. 
And I love that about her because she just made you understand that, yes, I'm great, I, I'm good at this, but when you collaborate with people is when you get the best mm. me. Or even if you just sort of take their style. Yeah. And I think that's what people get quite upset about. Yeah. They feel their style has been appropriated mm. and not acknowledged. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, 100%. You're allowed to be inspired, as I said before. But just... It's a fine line, isn't it, between inspire and copy? Yeah, yeah. But being inspired is... it. For me, it, I know what copying is. And I know mm. I don't... That's my thing. I don't want to look like you or I don't want to design like you. It has to be for me. Oh, I like the way you used that material. I like, I love the way that you've matched the amethyst with the Andalusite or whatnot. I get that. But I would never want to copy someone's work because you don't stand proud of it. Do you know what I mean? Imagine if I copied something and we're having this interview and in the back of my head I'm thinking mm -hmm. oh my god does Cameron know that I copied that mm -hmm. that feeling is not it's not mm. for me and there's so much of it out there isn't there exactly so much exactly. and I think people know and I always say to people who've been copied it's always the next idea you'll have another idea and the person who's copied you probably won't exactly. so just ignore it rise above it it's flattering and go on to your next idea yeah. it's all you can do yeah. and sometimes mm. it's not always so much you're copying it's like where's your ring from Diane called us. So, how long have you had that for? About five years. Five years. Very nice. Mm. But you see, it's like that pave set. Mm. And the stones are very close to each other. Yeah. That was initially done street jewelry. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because it's all about having the most amount of diamonds in. And then packed into packed the metal. In. But now, all the big houses. They're setting the same thing as as how, they, how how we used to do it. For, like you could only see street jewelry like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then, but now all the houses are doing is that copying, is that influence, or is that just going with the times? It's hard, know? isn't it? Exactly. Like we would take these watches mm -hmm. and put diamonds all over them. Like the time is called bust mm -hmm. out, so you bust down the whole watch fully, can't see no metal, half a millimeter in between each stone. And it was like the thing, and like you would see like a factory set, let's say a Patek Philippe, and it would have like a millimeter in between each stone. It was quite gappy. Four months ago, they released all their new diamond watches. Now they're like ours. Is that copying or is it going with the times? Because we've changed the times. It's not. No one wants to see no gaps. We don't want to see them. Mm -hmm. We just want to see diamonds. But then you have Van Cleef, who started the mystery setting. That's in the fifties, exactly. so uh, the invisible setting, no metal. So they came up with that before street. They did, mm. but it's wait. That's invisible setting, but wait, I'm talking about pave setting. Okay. So I'm saying pave. The yeah. small pave. Yeah, mm. small pave. Mm. So many stones all mm -hmm. put together, lined up straight. That we would have done that, but we couldn't afford it. We would have done 100%, I'm telling you, someone in, in, the, in the streets. What would have done mystery setting? A long time. Yeah, no, there's some jeweler that would have said, do you know what I mean? But it, to, to mystery set, mm. even now it's expensive, mm. that sort of setting, let alone then. Mm. But the point I'm trying to make is, when are you copying or are you moving with the times? Mm. We're, on, we're on a podcast now. Before, this would have been 
a radio station. Or, it would have been, or in a magazine, it would have been an yeah. interview, but now we can do it on multi-platforms. Exactly. We can film can, it, we can write, so we can are you podcast. Co- are you copying the first podcast or no? But you're just going with the times. I'm going with the times. Exactly. That's what I like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the next new thing, you just think, well, let's have a new challenge. Let's go to the next new thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a lot of sportsmen are attracted to your jewellery as well. Not least Anthony Joshua. Yes, Anthony Joshua. So, what was the last piece you made for him? I'm literally making a piece for him now. I'm Are making you? a yeah a Cuban link chain. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's um, it's just a yellow gold Cuban link chain that he loves, and um, yeah, I'm just making that for him. But he's been so like I've made all of these pieces um, from when he started when he first won the Olympics. I made him the. The Olympic signs, the four rings. I made that for him. On what? On a pendant? On a pendant, yeah. So he had like a small, very dainty pendant. I wanted to wear, make him something that he could wear every day. Um, so was that set into it or was it the rings separately? No, they were, they were, they were all set together. Mm-hmm. The diamonds were set. So I had the rubies, emeralds mm-hmm. and whatnot. And I also made him the, the angel of victory that's on the gold medal. So I took that, I, I I made him like just the angel, I took the angel off and I made, yeah, I designed an angel and he wore that as well. Yeah, I've done loads of pieces for him. So he likes to commission pieces after a fight? Not necessarily, but... Um, to sort of remind him he, of something? He, he, if I'm honest, most of these pieces are gifts. He's always gifting people jewellery. Is he? That's yeah, he's nice. Really, he's really into that. <laughs> yeah, he even gifted me a chain. Like, yeah, so he, for his family, his friends that have been there for him, he makes these chains and I, and I think they're for him and then he's like, oh no, it's for him. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Nice. Yeah, very nice. And that's good for you. That's right. That's good for me, 100%. So we'll have to wait to see the new chain for a bit. That's right. I'll send you a mm. video or a picture or something. Yeah. Great. So what was the first piece? Because I know you're really interested in, in French fine jewellery. What was the first piece you saw that really blew you away from one of the big Paris jewellery houses? It would have to be Tiffany. Not from the... Yeah, it would have to be Tiffany. I remember being about 17 years old mm-hmm. and walking on Bond Street and I looked in the window and it had this... It had the heart links and in the center one was just a gold was in yellow gold and the rest was just in like stainless steel and then you could they came and, and some of them had diamonds some of them didn't and i just remember looking at that thinking oh my god that is so amazing and you said you saw the zip once the first time you saw the van cleave zip oh yeah i remember that when i saw the zip yeah yeah so i saw the van cleave actually you know what i'll give it to that I couldn't believe it. I had never seen anything of that sort. Like, mm. it was a zip, and the zip actually worked. Like, it it's went incredible. up and down. Like, now I think about it, Mm-mm. and it's still intricate to me, do you know what I mean? To have a zip with diamonds set in stones that could literally move up and down. Mm. So chic, and like, do you know what I mean? Who thought of that? Like, amazing. And apparently Duchess of Windsor worked on it with them. Wow. Um, and each one is different. I mean, sometimes they have them in the window in Bond Street and you walk by the thing, yeah. I haven't seen that yeah. one. Yeah. And um, they're always different and adding different gemstones. Uh, yeah. It is extraordinary. Sort of feat of engineering as well as jewellery. Exactly, exactly. But 
I think that's why they're so good because they always pushing the bar. You know, it's not always traditional jewelry. It's about pushing the bar. It's about growing with the world. You come into the world. You, you know, the fact that I admire the fact that you've got you've got like books out because when it's all said and done, a hundred years from now, if somebody wants to read about you or your ethos or whatever's in the book, they can always go to it. That's the legacy. That stands the test of time. We can't be here forever. But they can, my pieces can. Mm-hmm. Your pieces will, yeah. my books. No, 100%. They might have. <laughs> no, I've got books. I've got books older than my grandma. Like, do you know what I mean? But your words will be here forever. And that's, that's the glory. It's not actually being here. Being here, it's not. It's when you've left and you're still here. That's the art. Mm-hmm. But I love jewellery for that because your jewellery found 100, 200, 500 years from now will say how people live now. Yeah. And they'll say the culture, the style, yeah. you know, who it was yeah. and all about their life. And that's, and nothing else does that. Fashion yeah. doesn't do that. Yeah. I think. You don't think fashion does no. that? No. Because that fact, it will fade and go and, you know, you're not going to pick up a Victorian dress and wear it out. <laughs> You're going to pick yeah. up some Victorian jewellery and yeah. wear it. And it can still look as modern and fresh and speak of how they lived. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, um, And I think that's the greatest about it. That's what I love about it. I just mm. love the fact that the, the legacy part of it, it's going to be here forever. Mm. I'm going to go by, by to it and it's going to be here and it's going to be passed down from generations to generations. Mm. There's going to be a story to it. Do you know? And that's why I have to put out the best products. That's why I scale the business down, make it small, unique, harder. Do you know what I mean? So how many pieces do you make a year? Oh, I, this year. This year I've only made um, one. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> one for Anthony Joshua. <laughs> no, I, I, to be honest with you, Carol, I couldn't even answer that question. I don't know. I've lost But time. not that many. I, I know. I, um, I make a lot of... Uh, I do. I make a lot. But... As time goes on, the numbers are going to get scaled down. Okay. Just special pieces, yeah. one-offs. Yeah. Because you need time. Mm. I feel like you need time to create and do it. Do you know what I mean? It's a lot of trial and error. Like, you like something today, mm. you don't like it tomorrow. And as I said, if it's going to represent you for, the, for as long as time exists, then you want to put out your best foot. And do you use coloured gemstones or mainly diamonds? Mainly diamonds. Mm. Mainly diamonds. But, yeah, it's something I'm going to venture into because... Um, just I still got to conquer some more in my world and then I'll pop over and do you think your pieces have a bit of um British style in them as well um yeah some of them when I first started I went to the Tower of London to see the crown jewels like and I was amazed you know like the the jewelry the way it's set and it's the way it's stand it's it's still the test of time so yeah, they, I, I I draw influences from mm-hmm. a lot of things. So yeah, mm-hmm. I would say, but mainly it's more more street culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and probably people will even beat me up for saying the street culture to just say it's design, it's just art. But I just, I I just I honestly just feel like it it's just driven all my designs. Mm-hmm. Like it always has, because I know I I don't feel like the pieces are appreciated. There's nothing like going 
being on the estate and this this guy comes up he pulls up his car and he jumps out and his pendant is swinging and you're a kid and you're looking at him i feel like i haven't felt that since i left the, the estate it just feels different and everyone's feeling like that like oh my god did you see his chain did you see his chain it represents everything so have you inspired a lot of people, young boys and girls from the estate? Do you think they want to be jewellers now? I've, I've inspired a whole, mm. a whole lot of jewellers. Like when I go to Hatton Garden now and I see so many jewellers that are just like me from different backgrounds, but just similar backgrounds as I came from. And I know even the other day I was walking on Hatton Garden and this guy came up to me and he goes, Oh, Chiefa, you inspired me to do this. And I'm telling you, it made my day. Because when I got into the industry, there was nobody, there was no black people in, in jewellery. I didn't have no one to talk to. No role model. Yeah, nothing. There, there's no one to go and speak to. But now, if I check my DMs, it's like, I'm giving kids advice. What, like, how do I start? What should I do? And, it, and there's loads of black jewellers now, mm. which that never existed before. Mm. So, yeah, I definitely like to say I played a small part of it. And what's the dream for the brand? Just a household name. Just, simply. Just, yeah, just, easy. Just, household name. A household <laughs> name, you know? A brand that you can just mm. trust. You go there, we come with innovative design. But not just, it's not just jewellery, it's just design in general, art, just different stuff. Have like a, a gallery and, you know, showcase other people's stuff, showcase our stuff, move into home, move into... Oh, yeah, I like that idea. Yeah, it's just... To grow. And where would you have the gallery? Um, probably in central London. Mm -hmm. Yeah. West End? Yeah. 100%. West End. Somewhere where it's just easy access to everyone. Everyone can just pop in. And, and you can make a day out of it, you know? Because I like that to, you know, dress up. We, like, we go to the gallery. Me and my whole team, we go to galleries every Sunday. Mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. different galleries. So, yeah. And just grow. Just grow organically, though. Organically. Mm -hmm. I don't want to... I don't want force... Force, force hype or, do you know what I mean? I, I, that's not what it is because that's not what I am. It's all organic. If you wanna, if you, if you're interested, yeah, come, we'll let you in. Give you a little insight. It just has to be organic so that you can stand the test of time. So what was the last gallery you went to? The last gallery I went to, I went to the V&As because I went to go and see Emma for Cole's piece. Mm-hmm, oh great. Yeah, mm. yeah. I went there about two weeks ago and she was there. Oh, and was still she? wearing her piece, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, she's, she's amazing. She's done so well. She's amazing. And last thing I want to know is your three top tips for young people who want to get into the business. Three top tips. Number one, you have to have drive. Number two, you have to have uniqueness. You have to be dying to be unique. You have to be dying to be yourself, which is being unique. Number three, you got to know how to market. Marketing in this new world, marketing is key. If they can't hear you, they're not going to come and save you. So marketing in knowing all about social media, digital, as well as presenting yourself as the exactly the not brand. Even, not even just social media, in just relationships, in being being able to con connect with people from different walks of life. Do you have to draw? Should you be able to draw? Yeah, it'll be good if you can draw. But if you can't draw, that doesn't stop you there. Because you, you should just be able to be very descriptive and be able to tell someone exactly mm. what 
is in your brain. Because I have to do it. Sometimes my drawing ain't that great, but I can get my point across and I can talk you through it and just be unique. Mm. Be cool, man. That's it. So, Chifa, thank you so much for joining me on If Jewels Could Talk and talking me through your jewels and your career and some insights into what you've been doing. Thank you, thank you. I thank you for coming. Thank you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes of If Jewels Could Talk, please go to our website, carolwalton.com slash podcasts. And if you liked it, please share it any way you can. Please subscribe to the podcast feed on any of the usual platforms where you find your podcasts. And we'd love a rating and a comment. Please join us again for the next Jeweled Nugget in two weeks. I'll be talking about one of the greatest master jewelers of all time, Peter Carl Fabergé, and his extraordinary life, encompassing the imperial Romanov family, a relationship with the British royal family. There have been six generations of collectors of Fabergé, Edwardian society, the protocol of gift-giving, and then, of course, war and revolution and the doomed beauty of the magnificent legacy of his imperial eggs. Please join us then. You won't want to miss it. Goodbye. If Jules Could Talk with Carol Wilton is produced by Natasha Cowan, music and editing by Tim Thornton, graphics by Scott Bentley, illustration by Geordie Labanda, and you can find me on Instagram at Carol Wilton. <laughs>